0: Shake off the rust and the dust. We're back. Welcome to episode four hundred and twenty four of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Lovin. And I'm Marshall Bach, back from a break. Mm. How you doing, Brian? Yeah, I haven't said these words in a long time. They're, they're falling strangely on my lips. <laughs> it's been, uh, what, a solid month yeah. since we recorded. We took a good, healthy break. I'm feeling great. How are you doing? Refreshed. Yeah. Hopefully, I still got the chops. I'm curious if
1: if I can still edit an episode. We'll see. Yeah. See. If, uh,
0: you'll have the muscle memory. It'll come back. I think. You know. Let's just go ahead and do a quick vacation recap, Marshall. Before we dig into everything else. Okay. Uh, this is the longest break we've ever taken on the podcast. Yeah. Four weeks, and it feels really good. I feel refreshed as well, and. Just wanted to go ahead and say thank you to everyone
1: yeah. for
0: Not a single person bugged us. Not that it would have bugged us if someone asked, like, hey, when's the next episode coming out? So I, actually maybe this is bad. Maybe nobody cares. Yeah, I mean, but nobody <laughs> no nobody reached out and was like annoyed, especially our patrons. Nobody was like, oh, "I, I'm paying for this." Um, so, <laughs> thank you. Uh, we really appreciated the break. Yeah. And, thank you for uh, your patience
1: and sticking around. And hopefully, people listen to this episode and they haven't all fallen off. We'll see. Yeah, yeah, we'll see.
0: Uh, Marshall, today was your first day back at work after a month, as well. Mm-hmm. Some huge work break for you. How was it? How are you feeling? Did you ha- also have like the oh, this is how I'm supposed to act in Zoom kind of moment?
1: Uh, no, I had a pretty chill first day back, but I also had a really great vacation and, and did some fun stuff. Uh, did, did you do anything cool, Brian?
0: Uh, I think I drove probably 45 hours oh in my total, God. drove to Colorado, and then drove back. Wow. Yeah. Uh, wow. Shit ton of driving, but it was great. Was home for uh, about two and a half weeks and pretty solidly disconnected. I mean, I was like on the internet, but no work stuff. You know, did some reading, watched a ton of movies, watched the whole Harry Potter series, which is honestly an achievement because, Marshall, let me tell you what always happens. Like maybe every other Christmas I get in that hankering mood for some Harry Potter. Oh, yeah. And at least the last two or three times I've done this, I binge the first four or five and then I burn out. I'm just done. I just stop caring. So I hadn't seen six Seven or seven part two since they came out in theaters. I literally don't think I've rewatched this movie since they came out because I always like, I'm not just gonna. Who's like, I'm just gonna go watch Harry Potter (laughs) straight into number six. Yeah, nobody ever does it. You got to start from the beginning, you got to watch them all in order. Um, so I've never made it. So, anyways, push through, persevered, watched all the Harry Potters, and you know what? Gotta say, the first four are probably better than the back four. Yeah, as far as movies go. So what else? That's it. Watched a lot of movies. Saw the new Spider-Man. Took my parents to see Dune. And yeah, had a nice time with family and relaxing. And it snowed a little bit. So yeah, it was very, very good. Nice change of pace.
1: How about you? Uh, I'm so happy you mentioned Harry Potter because I had the same hankering. Well, because I think the Harry Potter was the Christmas movie that came out every year that you look forward to and go see with your family. So yep, Christmas rolls around and I get the hankering for some Harry and uh, started watching the first movie. And I was like, you know what? I want to read the books again. So I watched oh, the first really? movie, and now I'm reading through the first book. And when I finish the first book, I'll watch the second movie and then read the second book.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, keep us posted. We can check in on your Harry Potter uh, revisitation over the next, I guess, several <laughs> weeks.
1: Yeah, so I did that. I'm starting Harry Potter, but I read a bunch of other books, Brian, which I'm going to mention for my cool thing. Um, watched some TV, watched some movies, played a little bit of gaming, but uh, I also redesigned all of YouTube. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> of course. Yeah, mm-hmm. of course I did.
1: You know, when the way my brain works, if I don't need to do something, I'll want to do it, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. And as soon as I have to do it, I won't want to do it anymore. So yep. Yep. as soon as I got on break, like literally every day during break, I'm I'm sitting there like, I can do anything I want to.
0: Ah, it'd be kind of cool to work on YouTube a little bit.
1: <laughs> so um, here right. we are. I'm back at work and I never took a day off.
0: All right. Well, uh with that, let's let's continue on with the show. It's been a little while since we've done this, but uh huge shout-outs to Play, of course, for making this show possible. Play is the first native iOS design tool made for teams to create mobile products, making it easy and possible to design, prototype, and collaborate directly on your phone. You can download Play from the App Store and get started or head to createwithplay.com to learn more. Beautiful website, beautiful app. Prototype an iPhone app on your iPhone. It's good stuff. Thanks, Play. We also have a good little onboarding for very important pixels. A little cool group joining the fam today. Yeah, strap in Uh, for some name reading. This is going to be a good one. So huge shout outs to we're going to do this in one go. Here we go. Justin Neely, Michael Degazier, Chris Barrett, Anita Miskovic, Kirillo Kolopkin, Richard Waxa, Kevin Turner, Imran Ashraf, Shuhua Quan, Mike Scott, Steve Salgado, Leva Kassara, Jin Ernest, Luke Wenzel, Leandro, Richard Quay, Josh Nelson, Ben Wong, Raymond Zhu, and Hao Hun. Wow, what a list, Brian. What a list. I I noticed in there, there was a a
1: Richard Quay, and Q-U-A-Y, when it's not a surname, is pronounced key. Like the the things that go around a man made inlet uh-huh. or or a dock or something those the the uh-huh. walls that you build uh, on the side that those are called keys, but it's spelled quay interesting right
0: you know those words are abominations on the English language another one that sucks yeah, like is Colonel yes that's the one that yeah. came to mind for me too <laughs> like yeah, where's that R coming from uh-huh. <laughs> little <Yep>. sneaky boy <laughs> yep. Uh, well, you know, the name that stood out to me was, I mean, I can't believe he's even interested in design, but Michael Scott of the Dunder Miffin. Oh,
1: <laughs> yeah, you're right. There is a Michael Scott.
0: And I bet he's never heard this riff uh, on his name Never. Before. Never mentioned never. ever, I'm sure. Sorry, Mike. <laughs> well, welcome, everybody. <laughs> welcome to the fam. Thanks for joining welcome. us. Uh, be sure to catch your first sidebar. First sidebar of 2022, more like 2020 you, (laughs) uh, head over to Patreon. Make sure you're on the Patreon feed. You should grab that first sidebar today. Today, we're talking about storytelling. If you didn't know, we're a listener-supported podcast, which means that listeners like you and uh, that big group of very important pixels that you just heard uh, make this show possible every single week. They come together on Patreon and for just a buck a month, just a buck a month, you get access to bonus episodes every week. We call the bonus episode the Sidebar. Sidebar, Sidebar. The Sidebar is an extra listener question, an extra topic, an extra opportunity for us to nerd out on design. And today we're going to be talking all about storytelling how to get good at it, ways to think about getting good at it, being bad at it, dealing with being bad at it, Uh, really the skill of storytelling. So if you want to hear us talk all about that, uh, head to patreon.com slash design details and sign up for just a buck a month. just a buck a month. Thanks, everyone, for joining the fam this week. And with that, onwards to the main topic. Okay, so Marshall... Obviously, everything is secretive. Nobody will know what you've done specifically. But I do find it interesting that you took it upon yourself to have fun over your break and and do this imaginative. Unsolicited redesign, yeah. Unsolicited redesign of YouTube, uh, medium post incoming. Um, No, but I wanted to talk about that because I think this idea of a person or a small group Very, very small group of people coming together to redesign a product and thinking about how to build a product so that it feels and looks cohesive across the board. Tackling design debt, uh, aligning on metaphors and symbols and iconography and color and all these kinds of things is really, really hard. And, uh, you know, you were in this rare position where you had an uninterrupted month to think about it. So I'd love to know how you thought about it. Like where do you even start? And then from there maybe we can I'd like to hear about your process first, but then we can maybe go more abstract and talk about like our observations of how products can build cohesive visions elsewhere, and not be so specific to YouTube. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean Usually when I start any sort of unsolicited redesign, and this one included, I start with key screens, right? So what are the main screens that people are going to be using, most heavy foot traffic, and start with those. And
0: usually there are elements... Well, oh, go ahead. Can you back up a little bit? Like, why even do this? Like, what? what's stuck in your brain what's that bug under your skin where you even feel compelled to to start on this in the first place Is it like a product problem is it just the visuals are, are are driving you nuts like what what starts this process
1: um yeah usually it's just yeah something bugs me either it doesn't work the way i want it to or it doesn't look the way i want it to Or, you know, if it's something that I actually work on, like just doing stuff without any constraints whatsoever is freeing, even if it never sees the light of day or never becomes real. It's nice to just play around without constraints or to create your own constraints. But um, yeah, I don't know. Scratching itches,
0: man. Just scratching itches. All right. So then you pick key screens. Yep. And then what?
1: Key screens. Yeah. And the way this one worked is I, yeah, I, I picked some main key screens and, it started snowballing from there of like, well, okay, well, this is interesting. I wonder how this pattern would play out on this other surface. Like if, if I expanded this and, and included it elsewhere, oh, okay, that, that works here. Well, it would also probably work there. Okay, make a mock for that. Ah, and this other thing, like, oh, that would probably work in this other place. And it's just this snowball that reaches out into basically every screen of the app eventually where you have enough pieces that it's really easy to create a new screen because you've already figured out all the problems and it's interesting to test those solutions that you've already come up with against new problems that they haven't faced yet and see if it works. And if it doesn't, then adapt those to, okay, well, let's ex- extend the rule set here or you know, change this thing and make sure it's cohesive across all the different implementations. But I don't know, that stuff's super fun for me, like basically creating a little design system locally.
0: Okay, so that part makes sense. In my experience, when I've tried to go down this path, where I quickly get hung up is understanding the the goal of the thing. So, for example, if the goal is I just want to fix the visuals, I want to bring visual harmony and consistency, it very quickly butts up against. Mm, I don't know if this feature should exist or this feature should exist somewhere else. But then you like quickly enter the rabbit hole of shit. All right, I got to change navigation. If you change navigation, you change the apps. I a like. Are these the right tabs? Is this the right way to use nav bars? Like all this kind of stuff. And those are pretty hard rabbit holes to climb out of. And it impresses upon me, you know, the profound connection between all of these things and all of these features. And it's not really that simple to just delete things or move things around. So as you're going through this, like how did you think about that interplay? Uh, Were you only focused on maybe visuals and interaction? Or did you also think about, this thing shouldn't exist or this feature should work like this or we should build a new product that does this. Yeah, um,
1: both of those are valid ways to approach a redesign. But usually when I think of it, I I think the harder path is to continue to include everything but present it in a more cohesive way. Like, Usually the way, especially larger products, are built is there is a foundational you know, core set of features that over time get added onto piece by piece, bolted on things, and eventually it doesn't look like the original thing anymore. And there's all this, all this stuff hanging off of scaffolding and duct tape and not the best structure. So to disassemble that and put it all back together in a way that makes sense is a really fun puzzle. And so I find that to be far more interesting than just throwing stuff out and being like well this doesn't fit so it goes away it's a lot harder and a lot more interesting to try to include it in a way that does make sense as if it was designed that way from the beginning
0: and how do you think about cross-platform obviously YouTube is everywhere so how did how that factor in here
1: well I mean not to be specific about YouTube but yeah anytime I'm I'm thinking about an unsolicited redesign I'm I'm, I'm usually designing for mobile because that's how most people interface with applications nowadays but I'm also thinking about how how does each of these modules, each of these components, how do they transform on different platforms? You know, What does this look like on tablet, desktop, TV? And so even though I might not be designing those things, I'm keeping them in mind of like, okay, well, this is the flexible bit that will expand for the larger screen. And this is the direction where these things, instead of being stacked on top of each other, will be now be next to each other, you know, that type of stuff. So I'm always thinking about it as I'm designing the singular implementation, but that has a lot of the thought of the other ways it can transform even though I haven't actually made those yet. But I'm thinking about it.
0: Yeah. Was there anything that surprised you as you went about this redesign? Or did you learn anything new about YouTube or change change your perspective on like, oh, wow, it actually works very differently than maybe I expected because I use it in a specific way, but now that I really explore there's all these other use cases and personas that I'd never anticipated. Like what, what came up that was surprising?
1: Well, okay, I don't know. I think I've told this story on the show before, but I'll, I'll tell it again because it's a good lesson to learn. So when I first joined YouTube, I joined on the gaming team and we built our own app, right? a separate YouTube gaming app. In it didn't have to align to all of the main YouTube stuff, so we had a lot of freedom and as such, I had this giant chip on my shoulder and I was like, I can design a better watch page. I can design a better player. I can I can do this better. And the more I worked on it, the more I realized that every single decision, even though it may not be like the perfect decision, made the most sense when you look at the entirety of what needs to happen, right? All of the features that need to be included. The more you realize that the way it is, is kind of the only way it can be, which is, I mean, this is true of any product, right? Like you can do an unsolicited redesign all day long, but unless you're on the team and you know the reasons for the things and you know all the problems that have been overcome and all this stuff, like all the reasons for the stuff, you're going to make bad decisions, which is usually fine for unsolicited redesigns. It's just, a, you're just having fun. But in this case, like I, luckily I do know most of the answers to a lot of these questions because I've either worked with the people on it or I've worked on it myself or I've been really close to the project. So um, I, I I learned the thing that I kind of already knew, which was if you move this it's going to affect that and then that's going to affect this other thing and that's going to affect the other thing and so that was a challenging aspect of this stuff of like, okay, if I do move, make this move, I need to have a really good solution for the alternative. you know it, it can't, it's the whole repeal and replace type of a thing, <laughs> like you can't just repeal, you have to replace it with something equally good or better. So that became the major thing is like, if I'm going to change anything, I need to have a really solid alternative and address all of the subsequent cascading effects of that one change.
0: Okay. Uh, I like that. What about, I imagine, you know, obviously these big companies, well, any technology product these days is heavily influenced by metrics and, and you know, a thing has to work and perform. In my experience, in pursuit of metrics, Things get bolted on, new features sort of fight for screen real estate above the fold. You start badging things, red dots, tooltips, new user experience, banners, like this shit just adds up because each incremental one is fine, but then you just reach this tipping point where your interface is cluttered and things have lost cohesion. So I'm curious how you thought about that or if you maybe let yourself be free of that constraint for a while. Like, you know, being conscious of the fact as you're redesigning something that, you know what, this might actually reduce engagement with this particular feature, but it's the correct design decision visually or from a hierarchy point of view or whatever. Like, did you ever, how did you get through those kinds of things?
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think... I kind of landed where you're heading. Just like I ignored metrics concerns, even <laughs> though I know that there will be some. Okay. It's like, well, uh-huh. you know, this is the right thing, and and the logical conclusion of all of the other decisions that I've made from a language and design standpoint lead to this outcome. So, like, this is probably what it should be based on all of the inputs that lead it there. And you know, maybe metrics will overturn those things, but for the most part, I was just doing this as an itch scratcher. So, like, this is. How I would do things, or how I would like to see things. I understand there are far more important things in play than my particular design sense. You know,
0: it's also like the concept car analogy, right? Like, Mm -hmm. don't hamper yourself when you're designing the concept car. Do the craziest shit, and then you'll walk it back, right? Exactly. uh, It was funny, you know, the the Cybertruck reveal from Tesla, like crazy design. No one's ever seen this before. But one of the interesting design decisions they made in the the first demos. It had no side mirrors on the driver passenger doors, no side mirrors. And then, of course, you know, two years later, you see the prototypes coming out of the factory and they have side mirrors. And of course, they have to have side mirrors. It's like part of, I think it's a law, right? Like it's part, it's regulated that you need these side mirrors. But fuck it. For the concept car, no side mirrors. We want this particular aesthetic on stage and everyone to ooh and ah. And then we'll walk it back, obviously. So maybe that's the the right mental frame to be in here when you're doing an unsolicited redesign. Like, don't hamstring yourself while you're doing an unsolicited redesign. Like, <laughs> there, there's no point in doing that. You, this is the moment to ignore the rules and and have the most fun.
1: Yeah, you want suicide doors? Throw some suicide doors in that thing. Maybe they'll end up <laughs> being normal doors by the time it ships, but. So side doors look cooler in the concept.
0: You know, okay, here's another thing that comes to mind is I don't know if this is a spicy opinion, but I, I just think it's reality that like if you want to, at this scale, I, I don't know that this necessarily applies at like the early startup stage, maybe, but I think certainly at this scale, if you want to create something with a consistent, cohesive, harmonious visual style or philosophy... It's gotta be a person, or at the most, like a couple of people who trust each other, probably complement each other, and certainly if it's more than one person, you need some low ego, right? Because you're the next phase of of any project like this is just tearing it dealing apart, dealing with pushback. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it's almost like an oxymoron where not, I'm not saying you have a huge ego, but like the kind of person who would embark on an unsolicited redesign of this needs like a certain degree of expertise or confidence in their ability to do it, but also needs enough humility to recognize just how fucking hard it's going to be and also like have the soft skills to introduce it to the right people at the right time and tell a good story about why certain decisions were made or why certain features were adjusted or why something is better than something else that already exists in production and has whatever good metrics and is making money or something like that. Um, So you almost need this like weird mix of a human. And then of course you layer on another catch 22, which is like, The person who is well-suited to work on a redesign of a large product is probably someone who's been there for a while and understands at a deep fundamental level why things work the way they work. But the problem with that is people who have been at a place for a long time no longer have beginner's eyes. They have their own muscle memory, their own vocabulary. They understand... Oh, this thing is this way because this decision was hard, or this we had to make this trade-off three years ago, and and I think you could find yourself easily, I don't know, like retreading the same paths that you've already been on. Whereas somebody who's new, who doesn't know how the organization works, might be like, "Yeah, but why doesn't it just do this?" <laughs> you know, and like come up with something fresh or totally different versus perhaps what is more like a, a, a reskin, man.
1: I- uh, there was an engineer who was hired back when I was working on the gaming team, and one of the first meetings that I was in with him, uh, I was showing some mocks, and he started like questioning everything that I was showing and questioning other things outside of that, and it really pissed me off because I was like, "Who the <laughs> fuck are you? You know, like yeah. you don't know anything, right?" But once I got a you know a few minutes of distance from it, like I realized like holy shit, he's asking all the right questions. These are all very, very good questions that I don't know we have great answers for. You know what I mean? Or we do have answers, but they're not very satisfying. Uh, they're kind of the thing of like, well, we had to make a compromise because of this or whatever. But it was that voice in the room that allowed me to see it from a different angle and, and really think about it differently that had he not been in there and seen it with those fresh eyes, those questions never would have been asked, and subsequent projects never would have happened.
0: I love that story. Can can I maybe just end this segment on a little bit of a, a personal rant? Sure. When people join a new company, occasionally people ask, like, "What's your advice when I join a new company?" Or recently, we had new people join uh, our team on the the mobile apps team at, at GitHub, and you know, I get to talk with them, and they're like, "Yeah, what, what's your advice for someone who's who's new to GitHub?" And here's my advice: is you have a Countdown. The countdown has started from the point where you have the beginner's mindset and fresh eyes on our company, our product, the organization, the way everything works. And that clock will run out in about two weeks, maybe a month. In a month, you will have started speaking the same language as us. You will have read enough documents. You will have participated in creating issues and writing code and gotten immersed in the code base. And basically become immersed in the culture that says, oh, this thing works this way because it's always worked that way, right? So you have this very, very special period when you join a company where you can ask those questions. Like, why does this thing work this way? And, and it doesn't even have to be product-related questions. Like, when I talk to, to new employees and have this conversation, I say, think about the whole process. Like, what about our interviewing process was confusing, annoying, frustrating, sucked. What about the onboarding process was confusing, annoying, frustrating sucked. Like all of your experience with a new job in those first couple weeks is so magical. You can actually ask questions and make changes because you are the only person who has, you know, this fresh new perspective. So that's my my mini rant. <laughs> well, and the problem with that, unfortunately,
1: you also have the least political capital of anyone at the company to make any of the changes or the problems that you re- recognize. So, unless people like yourself are asking the questions, like, "Hey, what did you notice that was annoying or confusing or whatever?" Like, I want to know those so I can fix it. Otherwise, it just sounds like complaining or know it allness or ignorance. Yeah, it, it's a tough double edged sword.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's a good challenge. That's more of like a, I don't know, that's just like a human thing, right? Even if you tell somebody that there's no dumb questions, people will still hold back because they're afraid they're going to ask a dumb question. Well, here, let me actually go on one more, one more micro rant. This okay. is another uh, rant by Brian. Um, when I first joined GitHub, through a very weird series of, of circumstances and events and organizational decisions, I found myself having a lot of time And I remember in my first few months of GitHub, I also did a bunch of unsolicited redesigns of pages on GitHub. And looking back, of course, they're totally naive. Like GitHub is one of those products where you can think you know what GitHub is, and then you join GitHub and learn about how people use it. And you're like, okay, I know 1% of how GitHub works. Anyways, what was really cool was I had this period for maybe two months where I had a lot of free time and I was doing a lot of unsolicited redesigning and just exploring the product and getting to know GitHub. And what has been amazing to me is those mocks, those bad early mocks made from someone with beginner's eyes who had the time to play, they keep resurfacing. They keep coming up. And someone like years later will be like, hey, remember that thing you did where you had this weird idea for the profile? Do you have that mock? Yeah, I have it. Let's talk about it. And like we get to dig back into it. And so my rant is, How do we get more designers to have that opportunity? Because that, I feel like it was just insanely lucky that I had that time. And, you know, for you, Marshall, like it wasn't luck, but you gave up your vacation where people normally do other things. But this uninterrupted time to play, explore, think about something sort of holistically with fresh eyes. I just don't know how you get that to happen or how you could have an organization that incentivizes that except for, I don't know, maybe like a handful of people at the very top who, (laughs) I I don't know. I guess I'm saying I just feel really lucky I had that time and I want to find ways for more designers to also have that experience where they can try things and maybe they're just not on a project for a little while,
1: you know? Yeah. Good luck making that happen. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Become the CEO, and you can do anything, Brian.
0: Yeah, I know, but that's the problem, right? Because I immediately, I'm like, well, if I was the boss, that would also be kind of concerning. <laughs> uh, again, it was just like this fluke that I just had this weird period of time to to work on other things. So, all right, well, this was a fun conversation. Good luck with what's next, Marshall. Yeah, we'll see.
1: Scratch those itches, Brian. Sometimes you just got to scratch them itches. Scratch, scratch.
0: Nice. All right. Uh, <laughs> cool things. Cool things. You want to go first? Sure. Uh, Marshall, I read mostly like tech and science fiction books where tech also encompasses business, but it's usually like tech business stuff. Um, So that and sci-fi, I've like got my genres down. And I've been really bad about getting outside of my own little bubble. And while I was home, staring at my parents' bookshelf, which has none of these things that I am interested in, I'm like, all right, I got to read something. What's good? So I'm talking to my dad. He's like, you should read this book. The Emerald Mile. So I read this book called The Emerald Mile, and it is a book that I never thought I would think is good. It is about things that I have no prior interest in, but god dang is it a good story. So what's it about? It is about the fastest man-powered boat ride down the entirety of the Grand Canyon. And it's one of those books where there's the story, there's the ride, the fastest ride. But the book that gets built around it tells the story of the Grand Canyon from its discovery to its industrialization, the Glen Canyon Dam and the Hoover Dam at both ends. You learn about dams, like the history of dams in America, which I had no idea anything about and learned a lot about, you know how controversial they were, but also we went through this period in the mid-20th century where almost every single major river in America, they put a dam on it, almost every single one. And they wanted to put more dams on the Grand Canyon, and it talks about the battles to prevent that. They wanted to put two more in the middle. They also talked about the culture of river rafting down the Grand Canyon, like why speed runs are a thing, but there's also the opposite. So there's speed runs. And they're slow runs, and there are literally people who have world records for longest time taken getting through the Grand Canyon. And it talks about like the spirituality of it. Like there's people who have this really profound connection to the Grand Canyon. So, anyways, I've never been to the Grand Canyon, so all this was new to me. And uh, wonderful story, exciting, funny, interesting. Learn about history of America, history about infrastructure, and then also this wildly crazy subculture of people who spend their life rafting down the Grand Canyon. So anyways, that's my cool thing for people who want a break from tech, design, business, nonfiction, sci-fi, like whatever your bubble, your genre is. um, And I got to imagine a lot of people listening to this podcast are probably overlapping in some of those. If you want a break, uh, I would check out The Emerald Mile. It was really good. And I'm also going to try and keep up a little bit longer, this break, this genre sort of vacation. I'm reading a, the next book on my list is The History of Mormonism. It's oh, called wow. Under the Banner of Heaven by John Krakauer. So anyways, I'm having a nice little genre vacation. Wow, a ni- a That's my cool
1: thing. A little nonfiction vacation.
0: Yeah. Cool thing, Brian. <sighs> All right. What you got? I also
1: have books, multiple books. So the author is Jeremy Robinson, and we've mentioned him on the show before. He wrote Infinite yes. and Infinite 2. Yeah. So when I read Infinite 2 a little while ago, as I'm going through the story, and you read it too, right?
0: Uh, I'm like a few chapters into the first one.
1: Oh, geez. Okay. All right. Well... There are characters that are introduced and little stories that are told that I realized about halfway through the book were other stories by the same author, and he was like kind of injecting them into this overall story. I realized I was missing something, right? If I had read his other books, I would understand more. And I just let it go the first time I read it. I was like, well, I guess I just don't know this stuff. There's other books, whatever. So... After I finished one of my most recent books, I was like, I'm going to read all of his other books or at least start with a couple of the earlier ones because these books that he's written, it's not a series. And this is what's really interesting, Brian. Each book is a standalone book, but they're kind of in three separate timelines or three separate storylines that all converge and are planning to be converged in 2023 with a final book, I think the 10th or 11th of the series or the overall thing called Singularity. There are these three branches. And so I started reading the first book of the first branch, and I was like, okay, this is good. And I read all of them, Brian. I read like nine books of these (laughs) things. So there's Uh The Others, which is kind of about aliens. There's Flux, which is uh, about time travel. Exo Hunter is like a a, a space Nazi hunter. Okay. Um, And that's all leading towards a book that will come out later this year called The Order. Right. Then the other one is uh, Tribe, which is about Greek gods in our modern day world. There's another called The Dark, which is like a neighborhood like horror story. Then Mind Bullet is about like a telekinetic assassin. Right. All of these books are very, very, very different, and uh, that's all leading up to uh, a book called Chaos with a K. And then the last one is Infinite. Followed by NPC, which is about a serial killer who thinks that he's the only player character and everybody else in the world is a non-player oh character. Oh my god. Yeah. Okay. That uh, sounds and then, fun. Uh, yeah, that, that was a really good one. And then that's followed by Infinite Two. So that's the that's the third storyline. Anyways, I read all these fucking books, and I gotta say, Infinite Two is much better. And, you know, they're all really great stories unto themselves. And what's really interesting is the epilogue of every single book. It's kind of like the MCU there's a cameo from a character from another <laughs> uh-huh. book
0: So is it also like the the MCU where there's like a, the fans have determined the correct order to read all of these in or does it not matter?
1: Uh, it does not matter because they're all well I mean I would start it, there's a link in the show notes it's called the infinite timeline but those three branches I would start on the left side of each branch and work your way across but you could kind of read them in any order. It's just those cameos will make more sense if you read them from left to right.
0: Oh, I see. I see. Okay, this makes sense.
1: But yeah, highly recommended Jeremy Robinson. I would start with The Others or Tribe and see if you like it. If you like it, I mean, Exo Hunter is really good too. It's, I mean, Future Space Nazi Hunter is a crazy premise for a book. That's but a thing. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. Well, lots of links in the show notes, so... Good stuff. Enjoy. All right, let's get out All of right. here, Brian. This has been episode four hundred and twenty-four of the Design Details Podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. Let us know what you thought. Of course, we're on Twitter at Design Details FM. If you did enjoy it, even if this is your first time listening, consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash design details. It's just a buck a month. It's just a buck a month. And you get access to that bonus episode. The the party doesn't have to end here. Go grab your second episode of the week. It's called the sidebar. Sidebar, sidebar. That's at patreon.com slash design details. All right, that's it. Catch you next week. Bye. Kilobytes? Kilobytes. Kilobytes. That'd be a sick rap name.
1: I feel like bites would be a bad thing in the rap world just because biting means that you steal other people's
0: lyrics. Oh, but you're really good at it. You've crushed (laughs) the art of biting other people's work. Yeah, you can have it. (laughs)